we open the Holy Scriptures to Romans chapter 3. We will begin reading at verse 9 and read to the end of the chapter. Let us hear the word of God beginning at Romans 9, or Romans 3, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped. And all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of of Jesus Christ, Unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance. Through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness. That he might be just. And the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. Thus far, We read in the Holy Scriptures. The basis of this passage and the entire Word of God 
The Catechism gives us instruction in Lord's Day 23 on the great truth that is the subject of Romans 3, namely justification by faith alone. Lord's Day 23 begins by asking in question 59, But what doth it profit thee now that thou believest all this? That I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir of eternal life. How art thou righteous before God? Only by a true faith in Jesus Christ. So that, though my conscience accuse me that I have grossly transgressed all the commandments of God and kept none of them, and am still inclined to all evil, notwithstanding God without any merit of mine, but only of mere grace, grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, even so as if I never had had nor committed any sin. Yea, as if I had fully accomplished all that obedience which Christ has accomplished for me, inasmuch as I embrace such benefit with a believing heart. Why sayest thou that thou, that thou art righteous by faith only? Not that I am acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith, but because only the satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God, and that I cannot receive and apply the same to myself any other way than by faith only. Beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ, our Heidelberg Catechism has led us through all of the articles of the Apostles' Creed, the cardinal teachings of the Word of God, the basic doctrines that must be believed by the Christian. And now Lord's Day 23 is the capstone of the Catechism's explanation of the Apostles' Creed. Here Lord's Day 23 brings it all together, ties everything together, and answers this very important question. So what? What good is believing all this? What significance does believing all these articles of the Apostles' Creed have for me personally? That is what question 59 is getting at when it says, what doth it profit thee now, right now, in this life, today, and tomorrow, and all of your days? What does it profit you? What benefit is it to you that you believe all this. And maybe at first glance that question sounds a little off. Maybe a little self-focused. After confessing all of the articles of the Apostles' Creed, our first concern is me and what this means for me. But we remember that the catechism takes the approach of the gospel, that God's gospel is good news, that brings to us comfort, and thus this question is very appropriate. It's not a self-centered question, but it is the question of the believing heart. It is the question of the Christian who is pressed down by the, the consciousness of his sins and the punishment that his sins deserve. And the Christian says, what does this profit me? It's an earnest question of faith. 
and the profit of believing all this is that I am righteous. Righteous in Christ, in the eyes of God, and an heir to eternal life, and that can't ever change. Because it is grounded solely and exclusively upon the good work of Jesus Christ alone. The prophet of believing all this is I am justified by faith alone in Christ alone. And that is the most profitable thing imaginable. Justification. Now, as we go into Lord's Day 23 this morning, don't let that big theological word, justification, either scare you or bore you. This is a truth that is neither scary on account of its complexity, nor boring on account of its intellectual content. This is a truth that is at heart so very simple, and also so very warm. This is a truth that is the center of God's good news for His people. It is warm, and all true theology is warm and living, not an abstract set of philosophical principles, but God's own truth that sustains and gives life to the soul. So it is with this truth of justification. It is warm, and it is also simple. Though there are many facets to the biblical doctrine of justification, and indeed you can say, There are complexities to it. There are depths to it. As we read about it in Romans 3, we saw that. Yet at its heart, it is so simple, our young children can understand what it means. To be justified is to be counted as righteous in God's eyes because of what Jesus did for you. Justification is a great exchange. It is the gracious act of God taking your filthy rags and putting them on Christ. And taking Christ's robes of righteousness and putting them on you. Justification is God looking at you in Christ so that he sees you just as if you never had sinned. Justification is God's word to you in the gospel in which he tells you how he sees you. How he looks at you in connection with Christ as covered with his blood and arrayed in the robes of his righteousness. He looks on you and he sees righteousness. And so for Christ's sake, your sins are pardoned. You are righteous in God's eyes. And you are an heir of eternal life. When the believer has confessed faith in Christ, the capstone of that confession is this this knowledge. I'm justified in Christ, righteous before God, an heir of eternal life. This simple, warm truth that is the center of God's good news is what we consider this morning. The theme is justified by faith alone. First, we'll look at understanding it. We want to understand this simple and warm teaching. 
Secondly, we'll look at how we embrace God's verdict of justification communicated to us in His Word by faith alone. And then finally, a few applications about living in light of the truth of justification. The Bible is full of good news. Really, that's God's main purpose with the Bible. To communicate to us good news, the best news in the world. And in Romans 3 verse 26, we have a certain formulation of the best news in the whole world. Romans 3 26. God is the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. That's the good news. God justifies those who believe in Jesus. Justification. Justification is God's verdict. God is judge. And as a judge, He renders a verdict. And concerning His elect people, in whose hearts He works faith, concerning those elect believers, this is God's verdict as judge concerning them. He declares them to be righteous. He imputes to them the perfect righteousness of another, the only perfect one, Jesus Christ, so that Jesus' own righteousness becomes theirs. So that the elect believer is righteous before God, not with his or her own righteousness, but righteous before God with another's righteousness, the righteousness of Christ credited to me. That's justification. That's what we want to understand this morning, what that is. God's act of justification has to do with righteousness. Righteousness is a person being in full conformity with God's law. Conformity, meaning taking the same shape as something. You are righteous when your heart, your mind, your soul, your whole life takes the shape of God's law. Takes the shape of God's perfect will as it is expressed in His law. That's what righteousness is. Righteousness is... Being in harmony, on the same note as the living God. On the same note as God in your thoughts, in the words that you speak, in the things that you do, in the feelings and desires of your heart. It's to be in perfect alignment with who God is. God defines what righteousness is because He is the Holy One. He's the perfect one. Righteousness is an attribute that belongs to His divine being. And God is perfectly self-consistent. Unlike you and I, fallen sinners, we are often inconsistent. God is always consistent with who He is. And thus His will, what He desires, what He commands, what He delights in, is always the same. That which is good. He is always consistent with His own perfect divine nature. And thus the Ten Commandments, God's law, is a perfect and unchanging revelation of God's perfect will. Of what is good and delightful in God's own eyes. Righteousness is necessary for blessedness. A man must be righteous to be blessed by God. 
The righteous God, because He is good, can only bless those who are righteous as He is. The righteous God can only show favor to and dwell with those who are righteous as He is. The unrighteous, who are an offense to His Most High Majesty, who violate His law, who rebel against His sovereignty, the unrighteous, He must curse. He must condemn. He must punish. He must cast away from Himself into eternal exile. Precisely because He is righteous and good. He is just and the judge of all evil and sin. Thus Psalm 5 says, For thou, O Lord, wilt bless the righteous. With favor thou wilt compass him as a shield. Psalm 11 verse 7 says, For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. Psalm 45 verse 7 says, Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. And that's why humankind is in trouble. Not because God is righteous in Himself, that's a good thing. But humankind is in trouble because, as Romans 3 verse 10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. There is the inspired description of humankind since the fall of Father Adam. Since the fall, every single human being is conceived and born in sin without exception. Every human being by his or her own nature is out of conformity with God's law. Is on a different note than God in all of his or her thoughts, words, deeds, feelings, and desires. Humankind marches to its own rebellious drumbeat. And thus of himself or herself, every human being by nature is against God. The catechism brings to mind something we all know by experience. In answer 60, my conscience accuses me that I have transgressed all the commandments of God and kept none of them and am still inclined to all evil. I am a part of that fallen, unrighteous mass of humankind. As Romans 3 verse 19 says, the law shows us this. The law of God testifies to this so that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. By ourselves, by nature, in connection with Father Adam, we are in trouble. We have justly incurred the wrath of the righteous God who must, because He is good, exile sinners from His presence eternally. But then back to answer 60. Notwithstanding, though all of that is true, notwithstanding, God 
Notwithstanding, God, without any merit of mine, but only of mere grace, grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. Notwithstanding, God graciously justifies unworthy, unrighteous sinners such as you and I are. There's the best news in all of the world. There's the wonder of grace. God justifies the unrighteous. Back to Romans 3, verse 21 and 22, we have a very beautiful description of this justifying act of God and the righteousness with which He justifies. Romans 3, verse 21 But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. There is a righteousness of God manifest in the gospel that doesn't kill us. A righteousness that is of God. It is God's own righteousness. But it is a righteousness that Romans 3 says. Which is by faith. That is it comes to us by faith. It is a righteousness of God. That he gives to his people. And causes them to receive by means of faith in Jesus Christ. Not a righteousness we make, not a righteousness we contribute to, but a righteousness that is of God, it's God's own, which he brings into the believer's possession. That's justification. And so Paul goes on to expound upon this glorious reality. Verse 23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's you and me. But verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. God declares His righteousness. He provides his own righteousness for his people. And that's, that's something astonishing. That's a truth so very deep and yet also so very simple. How can an unrighteous member of fallen humankind be saved? And be accepted by and be brought into the presence of the living God who is the Holy One. This is how the living God supplies us with a perfect righteousness. And clothes us in that righteousness like a white, pure, beautiful wedding garment. In justification, God makes us righteous. Truly, perfectly righteous. In God's eyes. He makes us righteous. 
with a righteousness not from inside of us, but a righteousness from outside of us. He makes us righteous with a righteousness that comes from God Himself. The righteousness of Christ. Now we must understand, when we're talking about justification and we say that God makes us righteous, we do not mean that God works inside of our hearts by His Spirit. That God transforms our inner spiritual character and infuses into us a holiness that manifests itself in changed conduct and a life of good works. That's a different part of God's work of salvation. That's what the Bible calls sanctification. And that element of salvation is built upon the legal basis of justification. That's part of salvation, but it's something different. When we talk about justification, we're talking about a legal act of God as judge. A sentence that He pronounces. A declaration that He makes about us. Which changes our legal standing before Him and in the eyes of His law. Changes our legal standing from guilty sinner to be punished. To righteous child of God to be rewarded For the sake of the merits of Christ. Justification is purely legal. And we must bear that in mind. So, when God justifies. When He makes us righteous. What He is doing is He's making a verdict about us. He is changing our legal standing before His law. He acquits us at His judgment seat. Pardons our sin. And as judge declares, innocent, in conformity with the law, in harmony with me, and therefore an heir of eternal life. And to understand this then, we need to understand that important term, imputation. Justification is not an inward transformative work, that sanctification which comes On the basis of justification. But justification, that legal verdict of God, involves the imputation of Christ's righteousness. That's how answer 60 defines justification. Notwithstanding God, without any merit of mine, but only of mere grace, grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. That word impute means to reckon To someone's account. To regard someone as. To count to them. To credit to someone. God graciously credits. Jesus perfect satisfaction. Righteousness and holiness. To our account. God counts the death of Christ. As payment for my sin. God counts. The perfect life of obedience that Christ rendered to the Father as fulfilling the law in my place. The righteousness, the perfection, the obedience, the holiness of Christ is credited to me. It's counted as mine in the eyes of God. 
Christ assumed responsibility for my sins. He endured the judgment my sins deserved throughout His lifelong suffering and especially upon the cross where He took the law's sentence on your behalf. And as Christ lived His life and as He gave His life, Christ fully conformed to the law of God. Every single thought of His heart, word of His mouth, deed of His hand, every one of them was in full harmony with God. And the wonder of justification is not only that God pardons your sins on the basis of Christ's satisfaction, which God counts as yours, but God sees you as if you never had had nor committed any sin and sees you as if you had fully accomplished all that obedience to God's law which Christ performed for you and in your place. Back to that very fitting picture of robes. By nature, we're covered in the filthy rags of our own sins. And Jesus came to take those rags away. He took them upon Himself. And in exchange, He gave us His own robes of righteousness. A double imputation. My debts... My infinite debt is counted to Christ. And He's held accountable to pay for it. And Jesus' perfect righteousness is credited to my account. So that when God looks at me, when God looks at you, believer, He sees Christ. He sees Christ's righteousness. He sees that perfect satisfaction that Christ made for you. I'm righteous. In Christ. Before God. and Therefore an heir. Of eternal life. That's justification. Let us all take that word into our heart. Mull over it. Meditate upon it. Think about what it means for us personally. Children. Take this word about justification into your heart. It's a big word. But it's a simple concept. It means God and His love for you. has forgiven your sins for Jesus' sake. And He has clothed you in the perfect life of Jesus so that when God looks at you, He sees Jesus. What a wonderful thing. Wonderful thing that is. That's justification. Now, how can this be? How can this be? Me, righteous in God's eyes, when God knows everything, when God sees everything, when God knows all of my sins, how can He count me as righteous? How can He credit to me the righteousness of another? From a certain point of view, that sounds 
absurd. How can somebody else's death pay for my sins? How can somebody else's obedience fulfill the law for me? The law that I am personally called upon to obey. After all, Psalm 49 verse 7 says of humankind, None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. Does it really work? Can it really be that there is a righteousness outside of me that I did nothing to contribute to? And that this righteousness is imputed to me even though I am unrighteous? So that on the basis of this righteousness outside of me that clothes me, I am now acceptable to God and an heir of eternal life? How can that be? How does that work? Such an idea would be utterly absurd if that somebody else was anyone else but Jesus. As Psalm 49 says, no man can pay for another man's sin. You and I can't pay for our own sin. It's an infinite debt that we simply increase each day of our lives. No Mere man, no angel can fulfill God's law in our place. But there is one who can. Only one who can. Jesus Christ. Who is fully qualified to undertake this work. As we've learned earlier in the catechism. He's fully man. He's one of us. God won't punish another creature for human sin. But Jesus is fully man. No mere creature can bear the burden of the punishment that our sin deserves. But Jesus, though fully man, is not merely man. He is also fully God. And by His divine power, He sustained His human nature in the bearing of that punishment. And sustained His human nature in the obeying of God's holy law. Fully God, fully man, and Himself perfectly righteous. A sinner can't pay for the sins of other sinners, but Jesus is no sinner. He's the perfect Son of God in the flesh. But more than that, there's this. Jesus was ordained by God the Father to be the head of the new humanity. And the new humanity is the whole body of the elect Which God in eternity, according to John 6, gave to Jesus Christ to be His sheep, to be His people, whom Jesus in the fullness of time would redeem with His shed blood and clothe in His righteousness. God ordained Jesus to be the head of the new humanity and sent Jesus into the world to redeem that new humanity. And this brings us back to the beginning. To the way God created the human race. God created humanity a single organism, a body connected to a head. God created humanity in the beginning as a legal entity, a legal corporation represented by a legal head. And the first head was the first man, Adam. Adam. That's why when Adam fell, he corrupted your nature and mine. And that's why when Adam sinned, we all became guilty. 
Adam as the legal head representing the entire legal corporation that was humanity, all of his descendants, he acted on our behalf. There's an old rhyme of the Puritans, in Adam's fall sinned we all. And that's true. As head of the legal corporation, the human race, Adam sinned and all of humanity fell and sinned with him. But now, in God's marvelous plan of salvation, the same dynamics, the same mechanics come into play. God has ordained Jesus Christ to be the head of the new humanity, the head of the body which is the church made up of all God's elect children. Jesus is our organic head. We are truly spiritually united to him by the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is now also our legal head. The elect, the true church, the new humanity is a legal entity. A legal corporation represented by her head. Just as Adam's actions were done representing all those he was connected to, so too the actions of Christ are actions performed on behalf of all those he represents. He can die for us as the qualified mediator and as the God-appointed head of his elect. And he can obey for us. Just as Adam's disobedience is our disobedience, our new head's obedience is our obedience. In Adam's fall sinned we all. In Jesus' obedience we all are judged perfectly righteous. The obedience of Christ imputed, credited from the head to all of his members that he represents. And so we see then, justification is not absurd. It's not a legal fiction. It's not something sketchy. It's not dishonest, divine accounting, shifting around righteousness in a sketchy way. It's the reckoning of a real righteousness to us and God's act of justification is a just and righteous act. As Romans 3 verse 26 says, to declare, I say, at this time, His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. God justifies. And he's righteous in doing so. Believe that, beloved. That's what the Bible says. That's at the center of the gospel. I am righteous in Christ alone. And because of him, I am an heir. To life eternal. Well, now secondly and more briefly. Understanding this wonder of justification. Let us see that we embrace. This word of justification. By faith in Christ. 
Justification is an act of God. It's a verdict of God as judge. Only God can justify. But now, that verdict of God, our judge, which he pronounced in heaven's courtroom, that verdict has to reach me, a creature inhabiting time and space, living now. How does that verdict get from heaven into my heart? And the answer is by the Word of God received by Spirit-wrought faith. Faith is how we know of our justification. Faith is how we experience that reality of justification. God communicates His verdict in His Word, in the Gospel. That's the good news. The good news is, I pardon your sins for Jesus' sake. I impute to you the righteousness of Christ. I view you in light of Christ's righteousness, and therefore you are an an heir of life eternal. That's the message of the gospel. And that message of the gospel comes to us, and it penetrates our hearts, and it is received, and understood, and believed, and embraced by faith, and faith alone. That's how... Answer 60 ends, inasmuch as I embrace such benefit with a believing heart. And that's how question and answer 61 ends. I cannot receive and apply the same to myself any other way than by faith only. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Faith is simply knowing God and trusting Him. Knowledge and confidence. That's Lord's Day 7. God, the justifying judge, speaks His verdict to us in His Word. And as He does so, He works in our hearts by the Holy Spirit to kindle that true faith which receives the Word and believes it. And as the believer believes the Gospel, He experiences the comfort of that justification. As the Belgian Confession says, our our faith is the hand and mouth of the soul. The faith that God gives us is the means by which we receive from Him. It's the hand and mouth of the soul. Faith is the God-given spiritual hand by which we receive. spiritual ears in which we hear that justifying verdict of God. That I am righteous in Christ and an heir of eternal life. And so that's the Reformed doctrine of justification by faith. By faith. It's by faith that we receive that word in the gospel. And it is by faith that we experience it as true and real for me here and now in this life. But now as question and answer 61 emphasizes, it is by faith alone that we are justified. Absolutely apart from our works. Romans 3 verse 28 says, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. What this means is that 
Our works don't have any role to play in justification whatsoever. Our good works, the good works that we perform by the operation of the Holy Spirit in us, those don't contribute to the righteousness that God imputes to us. The righteousness He credits to us in justification is Christ's righteousness. But also this, works are not how we receive or experience our justification. The word of the gospel comes to us, and that word is received and embraced by faith alone. Works are not the means or the basis for our justification. And that's so important because the comfort of justification depends on that. If my works are part of the foundation or part of how I experience that justification, know that it's true for me, I'll never have the comfort of knowing it for certain. But our righteousness is Christ's righteousness. And we are assured of it simply by believing God's word. Resting and relying upon Christ and his finished work. So justified by faith alone. But now question and answer 61 wants to be clear on another point as well. Not that I am acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith. What the catechism is saying here is. It's not that faith is the one worthy work that God accepts. It's not because your faith is so good that you're justified. Faith doesn't make us worthy of anything. Faith is not a good work that earns. Faith is simply the God-given means by which we receive what He freely gives. It's the hand and mouth of the soul. It doesn't go and earn things. It simply receives God's gracious gifts. That's the point of the catechism. So we're not justified because we have faith. We're justified because of what Christ has done for us. But we are justified by faith or through faith. Meaning it is the God-given means by which we know and are conscious of. And experience and enjoy that gracious reality. That God has pardoned my sin. And that God sees me as righteous In Christ. A brief polemic in this connection. It's worth pointing out an error of recent vintage which still does trouble the church. An error that in a roundabout way denies that justification is by faith alone. And this is the error of a position that teaches that no God-worked activity in man can ever precede in time the enjoyment of one of God's blessings. That, That theological position makes God's appointed order into something conditional. And that position is unbiblical. The reformed doctrine of justification by faith means I experience and enjoy the blessedness of justification by means of God-worked faith. 
And that God-worked activity of faith in the believer's heart necessarily precedes the experience of justification. There is the God-worked activity of faith, which is the means by which I enjoy and know that reality of my justification. And that makes sense. You can't experience justification if you don't believe in Christ. Does that make faith a condition? Absolutely not. And the assertion that it does arises out of serious theological confusion. Saying that faith is the means by which we experience justification. God works faith and then God causes us to experience justification. That's not putting man first. That's saying God does this and then God does this. God works faith because faith is the means that He uses to cause us to know His verdict of justification. God works faith and then God works the experience of justification. That's God's way of working. That's not conditional. And so we need not fear any charges that this way of teaching justification makes faith a condition. It doesn't. This is simply the Reformed doctrine as it has always been taught. And to deny that really ends up denying the instrumentality of faith. We are justified by faith alone in our daily experience as Christians. That word of the gospel comes to me. And the Spirit works in my heart to receive it by faith. And then I experience the reality of what that word means for me. My sin is pardoned. I know that I'm righteous before God, an heir of eternal life, and nothing can change that. That's how God works with His moral, rational creatures, with His children. He speaks. He works in our hearts to receive that word. And receiving it by faith, we experience the blessedness of the reality that that word communicates to us. Not conditional, biblical, and reformed. Lastly, living in light of it. Living in light of this truth of justification. Justification fills the believer's life with light. No matter how dark my earthly way may be. Just a couple of things here. First, justification fills the believing heart with peace. Peace. Justification is God's answer to my accusing conscience. And there's no other answer that can quiet the accuser the way this verdict of justification can. After all, it's the verdict of the judge. If you are in court, standing trial, there is one person's word that can calm your fears and give you peace. And that's hearing the verdict of the judge not guilty. And that's what justification is. In the Bible, God says to us as judge, not guilty. Righteous. And this is the word that closes the mouth of the accuser and quiets 
my accusing conscience. Yes, it's true I've grossly transgressed all God's commandments. But Christ has obeyed all of God's commandments for me. Yes, it's true I'm still inclined to all evil. But Jesus lived a perfect life from a pure human nature. And that is credited to me. Yes, it's true that of myself I have nothing but my filthy rags of sin. But this is true by God's grace. Those rags have been taken away. And I've been clothed in the splendor of the perfection of the Son of God. So that when God looks at me, sinner though I remain until my dying day, when God looks at me, He sees Jesus. And Jesus' perfection. Justification by faith moves mountains. It moves that mountain of guilt. It moves that crushing burden that I carry at times. It casts out the fear of the prospect of everlasting condemnation. It lifts all of these mountains and casts them into the depths of the sea. Justification is the unchanging verdict of the I am that I am that makes me know that I am forever separated from hell. What separated me from God has now been separated from me. And I am accepted. He accepts me. He receives me. He welcomes me into His presence. And nothing can ever change that. Here's the comfort we need. The motivation to battle against our sin. Here's the strength to keep fighting. Thanks be to God who giveth us the victory in Jesus Christ. Here is peace in every adversity and trouble that we go through in this life. No matter what happens to me. No matter what people do to me. My standing with God can never change. My acceptance with Him can never be taken away. I am righteous in Christ and an heir of eternal life. There is my peace. There is my freedom. There is my joy as a Christian. May this simple yet deep, warm truth Fill your heart with that peace this morning. And fill your life, dark though life's pathway may be, with the light of the smiling, favorable, kind and compassionate countenance of the God of your salvation. Amen. Faithful God and Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this blessed Gospel, this good news, that we are righteous in Thy sight for Jesus' sake, because of what He has done. Take this Word and implant it, Father, in every believing heart this morning, so that its comfort and peace might reign in our lives. 
That we may go down life's pathway through the valleys and through the darkness with this as our light. Our unswerving confidence that we belong to the body and soul. And nothing can separate us from Thee, but all things must instead work for the final fulfillment of this grand salvation accomplished for us in Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen.